This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The role of the bones will determine their character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. In the aftermath of their battle with the Hellhound, known as the Terror of Tainmore, the party tragically discovered that the carter, Jago, had been killed in the attack. The companions laid Jago to rest in a shallow grave, and Beric, who had been wounded, was restored by the healing waters of the mysterious pool. With nothing else for them there, the party continued on to Four Rivers. The folk of the mining settlement were holding conference in the hall as the companions arrived, and on seeing that the party were so few, there was much consternation among the folk. Later, the companions learned from the foreman, a man called Marbon, and the dwarven engineer Torsten, that the miners had broken through into a cavern, and that there they had disturbed some evil, which caused the dead to walk once again. Having recounted the events, Marvin told the companions that the fate of the Four Rivers Mine, and all those that depended upon it, was in their hands. Chapter 10, Part 1, Day 18, Night, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 10 out of 10 hit points, Kier, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points, Spells available, there are no spells available. Beric had awoken before dawn, after a night of fitful sleep. His dreams had been dominated by that night back on his uncle's farm, when the goblins had attacked. The dream would cycle over and over, and each time he was unable to reach the farmhouse, unable to save those he loved, and each time the goblin's blade had sent him to oblivion. He sat next to his bedroll recalling his old life, that of being a simple farmhand. His hand went absently to the long scar on his face. In truth, that life was a distant memory. Now he was a warrior. Now he lived by the sword. Would he die by it also? He felt the sudden desire for space and air, and so he dressed quietly before strapping his sword around his waist and leaving the room in which Kia was snoring gently. After their meeting with Marbon, the companions had spent the night in one of the houses left vacant by a missing miner. Valen and Lena had taken the bedrooms, whilst Beric and Kier slept in their bedrolls on the floor of the main room. Beric stepped outside into the cool night air, 
the inky blackness of the night sky was already beginning to fade into the greyish light of dawn. The warrior crossed the road and walked down a track towards the lake. There was little in the way of vegetation. A few young ash trees stood among the stumps of their fallen ancestors, and it was clear to Beric that the wood which had once stood here had been cleared in order to build the settlement. Ahead, the track ended at a small jetty which struck out into the still grey-black water, its surface a perfect mirror of the star-filled sky. The wooden boards creaked as the big man stepped onto it, and he walked to the end before sitting with his legs hanging over above the water. We all sometimes want space to think and reflect, and Beric is no different. But in Legend of the Bones, walking abroad at night in an unfortified settlement can be dangerous. Therefore, I'm going to make a roll to see whether Beric encounters something. I'm going to roll a d6, and if I roll a 1 or a 2, then an encounter will be indicated. Here it is. A 5. It would seem then that Beric is left undisturbed in his own contemplation. Chapter 10, Part 2, Day 18, Morning, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 10 out of 10 hit points, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points. Spells available, Valen has memorized Push and Shield. Lena can pray for one first level miracle. Four rivers lay in the shadow of the twins long after the sun had risen. The peaks were some of the highest on the moor and stood over 600 feet from the valley floor, and as such it was past the ninth bell before the sun had climbed high enough for its rays to peep over the crest. A small group of folk had gathered around a wagon just outside the settlement, on the track that led east towards the mine. Despite the great shadow over four rivers, the azure sky was clear, and the air warm with only the slightest of breeze. In other circumstances, the fine weather would have raised anyone's spirits, but the mood among the group was sober and pensive. At their meeting the night before, the companions had agreed to enter the mine and root out the evil which plagued it, and Torsten, who had seen the evil firsthand, had also declared that he would go, for the party would need a guide and the dwarf was resolute in his desire to avenge his brother. But now, standing in the shadow of the twins, the reality of what they were about to undertake was in stark relief. Elsbeth handed each of them a food parcel, wrapped in linen, which they gratefully received, and Marban handed Beric a map of the mine before saying some final words. Take care, the mine can be treacherous at the best of times. Heed Torsten, he knows the dangers better than anyone. Marban extended his hand to Beric, and the two men clasped arms. The Nine be with you, the foreman said, looking at each of the companions. Good luck. With that, the companions climbed aboard the wagon. Torsten sat up front with Kier, who took up the reins. When everyone had found a place, the rogue flicked the reins and the horses obediently began to pull their burden along the road. Beric looked back and saw Marban and Elspeth raise their hands in farewell. 
but their faces told another story. The journey to the mine was only a half a mile or so, and the surrounding land consisted of the coarse scrub that was typical of the moor. The road rose in a gentle incline before levelling off, and shortly the mine entrance could be seen ahead. The area around had been cleared, and evidence of mining activity could be seen, though clearly the miners had abandoned the site in a hurry. Tools and equipment were scattered here and there, whilst the cart rail ran for 50 yards before disappearing into the mine, the entrance to which was boarded over with thick planks. A wooden cabin stood to the left, next to which was an open framed building which housed a foundry. To the right was a large slag heap, upon which sun-like dandelions and other weeds now grew, indicating the soil lay undisturbed for several weeks. Keir brought the wagon to a fort outside the cabin, and the companions climbed down. They made their way over to the entrance, upon which Berg and Torsten retrieved crowbars from their packs and prized off the planks, which fell noisily to the ground, whilst Vela lit his lantern. Ready? Beric asked. The others nodded. Well then, Torsten, lead on. The dwarf hefted his battle axe, turned and walked into the gloom. One by one, the others followed. Whilst previously there have been a couple of small locations, I suppose that this is the first real dungeon crawl in Legend of the Bones, and what better way than with a classic mine? I think it is worth establishing some basics of how I will run things. Firstly, marching order. Unless I specify otherwise, the marching order will be as follows. Torsten first, followed by Beric, then Kier, Valen, and with Lena acting as rear guard. If the tunnel is wide enough to walk two abreast, then Beric will walk alongside Torsten, with Keir behind the dwarf and Phelan behind Beric. Secondly, whilst Torsten as a dwarf has infravision of 60 feet, the others will be totally dependent on artificial light. Therefore, Valen will keep his lantern lit unless stated otherwise. Marbon has provided six flasks of oil in addition to the five carried by the party. If the humans are left without a light source, then any attack rolls will be at a minus four penalty to hit. Finally, I will make a wandering encounter check every two turns. That equates to 20 minutes. The basic expert rules state that in a dungeon, there is a one in six chance of a wandering encounter, but I am going to increase this to a two in six chance. If an encounter is indicated, I will roll on a custom encounter table for this mine. You can find this table at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. If the encounter is a creature, then it will start 2d6 times 10 feet away. Now, some of these rolls will be off mic, and I may not state that a roll has been made, but if that happens, then the results will be played out in the narrative. Okay, now that we've established all that, let's start exploring. It will take the party 6 turns to reach the point where Tostig was killed, so here are 3 wandering encounter checks. A 3. Another three. Final roll for this section of the mine. A two. An encounter is indicated. Okay, so let's see what kind of encounter this is. Rolling 2d4 on the custom encounter table. A six. Let's see. Okay, so now to roll 2d6 for how many of these creatures are encountered. 
An eight. Oh boy. Okay, so now to see how far away these creatures are. Okay, that will be 40 feet. Well, let's see what happens. Chapter 10, Part 3, Day 18, Early Afternoon Party Status Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points Lena, 10 out of 10 hit points Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points Torsten, 8 out of 8 hit points Spells Available Valen has memorized Push and Shield. Lena can pray for one first level miracle. It was difficult to know how much time had passed since the companions had entered the mine. At first they had followed the rusty cart track as it wound its way through the timber-braced tunnels. Occasionally the tunnel would open up into a larger space where the miners had been working on a face. In the earlier spaces, their tools had been placed in crates or carefully stacked, but as the companions made their way deeper into the mine, it was clear that the miners had left in a hurry. After some time, a faint breeze could be felt from up ahead, along with the sound of rushing water. Eventually, the cart track ended in a large natural cavern, where a river ran quickly through before disappearing through the south wall. A crude bridge had been constructed over the river, which led to another tunnel in the west wall. The companions rested here for a while, and on opening their food parcels provided by Elsbeth, found a curious offering, a semi-circular pastry parcel filled with cooked mutton, onions and herbs. They call them pasties, Torsten explained, and as the companions ate, the dwarf told them what lay ahead. Beyond the river, we will be entering the new tunnels. These are the most dangerous. It is possible we may encounter a gas pocket. So, Valen, if I give you the word, you must extinguish the lantern, else there will be an explosion. Torsten's deep voice echoed around the cavern. Valen nodded to show he understood. Also, it is not uncommon for new tunnels to collapse, particularly if the timber supports a greenwood. Experienced miners know this, but Marvin and I have found that someone has been slipping greenwood into the supplies. But that is another matter. The dwarf took a draught from his water skin before continuing. The place where Tostig and I were attacked is not far. I suggest you all keep your weapons to hand. Now we are refreshed, we shall continue. The companions gathered up their things before making their way over the bridge. The black water roared and burbled as it rushed beneath them, and all were glad when their feet were back on solid ground. To the companions, the new tunnel looked identical to those earlier, but without the cart rail to guide them, it was clear that it would be all too easy to become lost, particularly as numerous new branches appeared. Torsten seemed unconcerned, as if the layout of the mine were firmly imprinted on his mind. But for the others, who had never before been deep underground, 
the experience was unsettling. They continued on, and after a short while the tunnel opened up into a small cavern, some 15 feet across. There were more tools scattered about here and there, as well as buckets filled with lumps of black rock with the telltale silvery flecks which identified it as tinstone. As the light from Valen's lantern reached the far wall, it reflected and sparkled on thousands of similar flecks, and in the centre of the wall there was an opening, just big enough for a man to pass through. This is it, Torsten said. Be on your guard, the dwarf added before stepping over the rubble and through the opening. The others likewise followed. The companions found themselves in a small natural cavern some thirty feet across. Ahead, the companions could see that the cavern opened up into a much larger space. More mining tools lay scattered about, and the air had a sickly sweet odour which cloyed in their nostrils and throats. The rotting and headless corpse of a man lay prone on the floor, whilst Torsten was kneeling next to a second body, that of a dwarf. His head was bowed, and his hand was resting upon the dwarf's chest. Lena approached and placed her hand on the dwarf's shoulder. I am sorry for your loss, Torsten. Torsten wiped his eyes with his cuff before standing. No matter. He now feasts with our ancestors in the Great Hall. The dwarf turned to Lena. But I thank you. Suddenly, a faint noise could be heard coming from where the cavern opened up into a larger space. It was the sound of something dragging or shuffling along the floor. At first it was a single noise, then others could be heard. The companions tensed as they faced the source. Torsten, whose eyes had no need of light to see, hefted his axe. Ready yourselves. They come. Slowly, one by one, eight grotesque and decaying figures emerged into the light. The stench was overwhelming as their putrid bodies shuffled and jerked forward in unnatural motion. In their shriveled and rotting hands they carried shovels and picks, which they now raised as they advanced upon the party. Strike the head, that alone will kill them, Torsten instructed, his face a mask of grim resolve. What does do? Entering combat. The party have encountered a group of eight zombies. The zombies are two hit dice creatures and are armed with shovels and pickaxes, which I will rule as doing 1d6 points of damage. According to the basic expert rules, zombies have an armor class of 11 and get a plus one to their attack rolls. However, due to their slow and shambling nature, zombies will always lose the initiative. So there will be no rules for initiative in this combat. The party will always act first. As there are eight enemies, for the sake of expediency, the zombies will all have the same hit points. Here is the roll on 2d6. A four. So the zombies will min out at six hit points. I am also going to rule that the party must strike the zombies in the head to kill them, and therefore I am going to apply a minus one to all attacks made by the party to reflect the targeted nature of their attacks. With regard to surprise, I am going to rule that the zombies are not surprised due to the lantern, but let's see whether the party are. A four. The party are not surprised. Round one. Whilst the zombies are 40 feet away, the lantern casts a light for 30 feet. This means that there will be one round for missile attacks and spell casting before melee will commence. 
Kia knocks an arrow and shoots. With bonuses for his dexterity and the short range being partly offset by the penalty for aiming at the head, means that Kia needs a 10 or more to hit. A 16 for 6 points of damage. Kia's arrow pierces the zombie's right eye, killing it instantly. That is a great start for the party. As a cleric, Lena has the ability to turn undead creatures through the power of her faith. For those of you not familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, this is not a spell or a miracle, rather an ability that all clerics possess, providing they are in possession of their holy symbol. Turning undead counts as the cleric's action, and they are not limited by how many times per day they can attempt it. There are two factors which affect the difficulty for turning undead, the cleric's level and the number of hit dice the target has. As a second level cleric, Lena needs to roll a 7 or more on 2d6 in order to turn the zombies. Here is the roll. A 6. In her fear, Lena fumbles with her holy symbol and cannot clear her mind sufficiently to channel her faith. Round 2. The zombies are now in melee range. Remember, the party automatically wins the initiative. Kier knocks another arrow and shoots. A 10 is just enough for... One point of damage. The rogue's arrow rips off the left ear of one of the zombies. Lena, holy symbol in hand, will attempt to turn the zombies again. She needs a 7 or more on 2d6. A 9. I now need to roll the number of zombies affected. Lena stands defiant, her arm outstretched with her holy symbol, and commands the zombies. Back, spawn of hell! I banish you in the name of Solon! Four of the zombies shy away from Lena. They turn and shuffle away into the darkness. Void by Lena's success, Torsten and Beric charge forward. With bonuses and penalties taken into account, Beric needs a 10 or more to hit. That's 20! No need to roll damage. Beric strikes down with his sword, splitting the zombie's skull. Thick, clotted blood and bits of brain splatter as the zombie falls to the ground. Torsten swings his axe at another of the zombies. When I rolled his stats, Torsten got an impressive 17 for his strength and 15 for his dexterity, which confers plus 2 to attack and damage rolls and plus 1 to his armor class respectively. Bonuses and penalties taken into account mean that Torsten also needs a 10 or more to hit. A 12 for 8 points of damage. The dwarf's battle axe separates the zombie's head from its shoulders. That was a great round for the party. Only one zombie remains. Undead creatures have no sense of fear, and so no morale check will be made. I will randomly roll to see who it will attack. Beric. The zombie will need a 14 or more to hit the fighter. Nat 20! Oh, this is gonna hurt. Here is the zombie's additional damage roll. A 4. Beric takes 10 points of damage as the pickaxe clears the rim of his shield and rips into his left shoulder. There is a sickening crunch, and the big man cries out in pain. If Beric had not recently reached level 2, then that blow would have killed him. Round 3. Kier knocks another arrow and shoots. A 16 is a hit for... 6 points of damage. The arrow smashes through the rotting face of the zombie and it slumps to the ground. Chapter 10 Part 4 Day 18 
afternoon. Party status. Beric, 7 out of 17 hit points. Lena, 10 out of 10 hit points. Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points. Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points. Torsten, 8 out of 8 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized Push and Shield. Lena can pray for one first level miracle. Beric dropped his shield with a clatter and slumped to the ground as blood pumped from the gaping wound in his shoulder. The pain was overwhelming and his head spun with nausea whilst his left arm hung feebly by his side. Lena rushed over to the big man whilst Kier, Balin and Torsten looked on helplessly. Help me get him over there, Lena commanded, nodding towards the wall. The warrior groaned as Kier, Valen and Torsten lifted Beric and carefully moved him before setting him down with his back to the wall. We need to keep him upright to lessen the blood flow, the cleric explained as she pressed her hand down on the wound to staunch the flow of blood. Beric groaned again. Lena's mind raced as she started to panic. The wound was grave and almost certainly the bleed was arterial. The position of the wound meant a tourniquet was not possible, but if she could not stem the flow of blood, then Beric, this brave man who had become her friend, would bleed to death in minutes. Solon, she whispered, hear my prayer. She closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and reached for her holy symbol with her left hand. Gripping the golden pendant tightly, Lena lifted her head upwards, and her voice rang clear. Giver of life, our eternal flame, hallowed be thy name. Lord of light, guide our way, as thou held each new day. Bless us with warmth, heal our pain, so we may praise thee again and again. Show us thy love, embolden our hearts, that we may walk the righteous path. As we bask in thy power, O King of the Sun, thy will shall be done. So let it be, now and for eternity. Lena's final words reverberated around the cavern, and any hope of stealth was now lost. Moments passed, and all the while the cleric's expression was one of reverence, humility and supplication. Suddenly, the cleric's eyes opened wide, and she gasped, a look of pure ecstasy on her face. Lord, I hear you. Lena's hand, the one pressed against Beric's wound, began to glow from within. The bones were silhouetted, whilst the space around a deep red as the light illuminated her flesh and blood. The cleric cried out, as if absorbing Beric's pain, as muscle, artery and veins were knitted back together, and the wound in the big man's shoulder began to close. The agony. The ecstasy. The word. And then, it was over. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. 
If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you once again to Jim Hurst for providing the voice for Marvin. Jim, I really appreciate it. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements. You can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventures as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. <laughs>